You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. I saw this somewhere last week and it made me laugh. Um, someone wrote, normal is never coming back, Jesus is. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> so normal probably isn't coming back anytime soon. And that can mess with our minds. I am most concerned about our kids. And when I talk about kids, I'm not just talking about our kids here at Mosaic. I'm talking about all kids. The isolation and disruption has been hard on kids. Maybe you saw the crisis in the Chicago school system last week. That was a big deal there, causing schools to shut down again. A national news story talked in some detail about how all this disruption is affecting kids. Test scores tell us that they are now way behind in math and reading since because of the disruption in school in the last two years. Um, and, and it's worse for those in poverty. And... Um, Visits to the ER among kids is, is up, particularly among girls. They say that girls aged 12 to 17 are, are showing up with attempted suicides at 51 greater percent. 50, uh, the, 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 it's risen, the, 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 um, the incidence has risen by 51 percent since 2019. We need to be praying for our kids, taking care of our kids. That's why I fight for worship, because listen, isolation is hard on people, and it is especially hard on kids. What seems to hit hardest are those changes in school gatherings, you know, lunchtime and assemblies and field trips and all those extracurricular activities. They are all being limited. When you were a kid, when people would ask you, what's your favorite thing in school, what was your answer? Recess. Right. Recess and lunch. That's right. As it turns out, social interaction does not increase behavior problems among kids. It decreases behavior problems among kids. Schools across the country are telling us that all the disruption without, all the disruption without is causing disruption within. And that's true no matter what age you are. But when you're a kid, you don't have the coping mechanisms, right? <laughs> so we need to pray for our kids. I read that the number one thing parents and families are crying out for is stability. So I want you as parents to know we're doing everything we can to keep at least the the fundamental activities in place. Because, yeah, being sick is, is hard, and we don't want to participate or, or, yeah, participate in the national crisis, but part of the national crisis is what's happening to people inside. In an unstable world, the idea of an always option becomes not only very attractive, but really important. We want something we can count on that won't get pulled tomorrow. So it makes this one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 a really important verse. And that's where we're going to be today. So if you've got a Bible, get it out. 
The best way to engage the message is with the Bible, something to write on, something to write with. So pull that out. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And once you get your Bible out, I want you to look at the screen because we're going to read this one verse together. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Let's read this together. Go. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I really didn't pay as much attention to this verse until last fall when Lo Alleman was with us, and he talked about this always quality. I thought it was a brilliant thought. Paul, Paul was building an always family in Corinth, teaching people who were coming out of a pagan worldview how to live like Jesus. And he's writing to them after spending three years in Ephesus, where you can tell from the letter to the Ephesian church, Something has inspired him to think deeply about relational holiness. He must have seen something in Ephesus, and now he wants it for Corinth. So he's asking big questions like, how do we protect each other without doing things that cause harm? I mean, tell me that's not a really relevant question right now. How do we trust when trust has been damaged? How do we stay focused on hope and potential when reality would rather tell a different story? How do we hang in with people for the long haul, sometimes way past good sense, which is our spiritual gift at Mosaic, knowing that transformation is a journey, not a moment? We're talking about the deep end of family life. It's the kind of family Jesus called his people to form with each other. And Paul gives us this one-sentence vision for getting there. Read this again. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This line sits in the middle of a chapter on love, but it comes at the end of a conversation about division. And this is really important. The, the division Paul is talking about in chapter 12 is not necessarily the kind of division we've gotten used to in the church. Our divisions these days tend to be more ideological, but theirs was more social and practical. None of it's particularly helpful, of course, but their divisions were more about ranking the haves and have-nots and about uh, you know who, who's in our Christian, who, who inside our Christian community do I need to pair myself with because I want to make sure that I'm standing next to the most important person. That was what Paul was talking about. So when Paul talks about unity, he's specifically targeting that thing we do where we decide not who is in and who is out, but who are the rock stars, you know? And who are the outcasts and who can help us and who can't? Do you hear the difference? In a selfish, it's a selfish way to live. It's more about self-protection than self-giving. So into that world, Paul says, love always protects. And these three words, love always protects, they summarize everything he's already said in chapter 12. And I want to look at that more, but I want to start with that word protect. We need to understand it in its, in its original context. The word the Greek word is stego. It means the act of covering closely. So this is, my, this is my cup that I carry to my picnic table out in the woods somewhere where we're having lunch, and, so, and it's full of sweet tea. So what am I going to do? I'm going to cover it to keep the bugs out, right? Or, or wave the bugs away that even get close to my cup. Or better yet, think about this is not my cup. This is my friend's cup. 
my friend's sweet tea. They're out in the woods taking a hike, and I'm uh, keeping the flies off for as long as they're gone, even if they're gone for a while, because I don't want my friend eating sweet tea that's had flies uh, running around the rim. That's just gross to even think about right this minute. So you bear with the situation as long as it takes because that's what love does. So stego means covering closely, but it also means to bear. That's why some versions translate this phrase as love bears all things. Who in here has a translation that reads that way? Love bears all things. A few of you. Yeah. To get the whole meaning of this word, we need both protects and bears. The Philip translation says, love knows no limit to its endurance. So it's a covering, but it's also a persistence. It's hanging in there. I'm in this with you. I'm in this for you for as long as it takes, even if it means hanging in, swatting the flies off your cup for as long as it takes until you get back to the table. Love hangs in way past good sense. Say that together with me. Love hangs on way past good sense. That's what stego really means. That's what Paul's saying here. Love hangs in there with you and for you, and it keeps hanging in there. Love has your back. It won't tolerate gossip or even listen to it. Love doesn't criticize in public. It puts up with mistakes and helps you course correct without shaming you. That's really important. It helps you course correct without shaming you. John MacArthur says, love has no part in that kind of shaming. It doesn't expose or exploit, gloat or condemn. It bears. It does not bear. You got to look at the, at the screen for that one. It bears. It does not bear. Let that sink in. That seems to be what bothered Paul about the Corinthians. It's like they were tone deaf. No sensitivity toward the feelings or needs of other followers of Jesus, particularly the ones that weren't rock stars. So this is what Paul emphasizes in chapter 12. Paul wants, he talks in this chapter about unity and division, but to get his point, we have to hear this through the filter of chapter 13, especially that one really important word, stego. That's what Paul does in chapter 12. He starts by talking about all the ways that we show up for each other in the community of faith, the gifts, the spiritual gifts we bring to the table, the ways we serve each other. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same God at work. There's different kinds of gifts, but it's the same God we serve. So he's talking specifically about the Christian family, and he's talking specifically about spiritual giftedness. Look at chapter 12, verse 21. So, so you, you hear all, all the way up leading up to 12, 21, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he comes right back around to it in 27. But in 21, he says, The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Now remember, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's, it won't work to write some people off or say, This person doesn't matter or that person is dispensable. Any more than the eye can say to the foot, we don't need you. Each part needs the other, which means that the person with a gift for prayer or the person with a gift for organization or the person with a gift for giving 
All of those are necessary in the body of Christ. Now, I can tell you, two years ago, it's just a, you know, a couple of months from now, two years ago, the first time we stood in this space, the worship team and me, and you were not here. Oh, my goodness. I can tell you, we needed you. It is hard to worship in a room where there are no worshipers. <laughs> that is, that was, that was, you remember that? It was just miserable. We were miserable. And we, you are more important in this equation than I am. If there are no worshipers, then it's just what Paul says when he starts verse 13, I mean, or chapter 13. It's like a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. If there's not people on the receiving end, if there are not people loving each other, caring for each other together, it doesn't work. That's why I fight for worship. Here's what Paul does. He, he, he says, um, the, the treasure placed within you, the treasure placed within you, that's what I want you to look for. And the treasures placed in each other, that's what I want you to look for because God says, I see all of that. I see the person with the gift of miracles and the person with the gift of healing and the person who is the prophet and the evangelist. I see it. That's what you need to go looking for. So I want to do this little uh, quiz for you. What do you see on the screen? You see a little black dot, right? This illustration is from Christine Kane. She was, uh, spoke at Passion last week in Atlanta. Um, I love her point. She said, why is it that we all see the black dot when there is a whole lot more canvas than there is dot? Isn't this how we approach so much of life? We get an idea of, in our head of what, how things ought to be or of what we need. Um, and, and, and everything that doesn't fit that dot of an idea, we toss. Or maybe we miss it altogether. I, I have come, boy, I just in the last couple of weeks, God has given me this incredible re revelation around expectations and intimacy. And he's shown me that expectations actually work against intimacy. He says it's like you build this little door of expectation for your relationship with God or your relationship with somebody, and you say, unless you come through this door, you're never going to get to me. Unless you come from this door, through this door, I won't accept you. And, and the crazy thing is, there's no wall on either side of the door. <laughs> if you just knock down the door, you've got all this canvas to play with, all this space. So that I learn how to approach you with an understanding of your, the way you come at intimacy in mind. Or I learn to approach God understanding the way he approaches intimacy, not just me. Does that make sense? But so often we have decided, unless it looks just like this, I won't accept it. Unless it looks just like this, I'm out. Think about how you've been thinking about the people in your life. Or maybe the people around you in this room, are you seeing the one thing you want to see? You're looking for the one thing you need. Or are you seeing the whole canvas of possibility that God has laid in front of us? The fact is God sees a bigger picture while we can only see bits and pieces. I want you to look at verse 22. 
He says, uh, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are to be treated with special modesty, while the presentable parts need no special treatment. The word indispensable literally means necessary or essential. He's talking about how we see people. Think about the ones who serve quietly in the nursery. Do you know that from the day we opened our doors back up, Lyneth has been in the nursery almost every single Sunday? It's amazing the people who've served uh, us in the nursery, and we never see them. Or think about the people who um, puts the words on the screen, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Ted. Uh, or the one who quietly counts heads, who is the, really, beside the worship team uh, and me, is the first one here and usually the last one to leave, counts heads and then always checks up on the people who, ha who she hasn't seen in a while. So thank you, Krista. Thank you, Krista. And thank you to the person who makes deviled eggs and little bitty pancakes. <laughs> thank you, Chris. <sighs> Just because we don't see everything they do behind the scenes does not make them any less indispensable than the vision team members we just consecrated. Being less visible doesn't make you less important. So when is the last time you thanked someone for serving behind the scenes so you don't have to. Paul tells us they also need to be treated with great honor and res respect. All the parts are needed in the function of the church and the body of Christ. That's how this is designed, which means you also are necessary and essential and indispensable too. Look at verse 24. I'm going to start where that sentence ends that we finished with. But God, do you see that in the middle of 24? But God has put the body together. God, in other words, God puts this body together, not you. Giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that all its parts should have equal concern for each other. We really hear it in these verses. The division Paul is most concerned about is not church politics. The division that bother, bothers him is the kind that happens when we take advantage of some gifts and ignore others, or even when we let some people struggle while others move on. No, he says, that's not love. Love always protects, always has the other person's back, is always flicking the flies off so you don't come back to a cup that's got fly footprints all over the edge of it. Doesn't leave people to do it alone. Doesn't leave them hanging. Love hangs on long past good sense. Because at any moment in time, there is somebody who needs you to hang on while they work their way through hard things. So who needs your grace today? Who needs you to hang on? while they deal with the fact that normal isn't coming back. Verse 26 is huge. This is the radical end of the always family. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
This is a radical end. It's to know ourselves as connected, our feelings as connected, our pain as connected, our success as connected. Because face it, left on our own, we would rather live selfishly. You know, making choices for ourselves that bring a short-term rush but long-term grief. We buy things we don't have with money. We, well, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. <laughs> we fill our own needs first before considering the big picture. We all do it. It's that thing I do. I do it. Where I text Steve at the end of the day to let him know I'm coming home, but then I have three more conversations and stop someplace before I get there, and I don't even tell him my schedule. It's that thing you do where you get just a little irritated with someone, and it creates a subtle shift in your tone of voice. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're not mad exactly, but you're not at peace either, and instead of caring gently for that person by bringing this little thing to the surface so you all can reach an understanding, you just don't return the text. Or you don't show up on time. Or you don't show up with a good attitude. Or you conveniently forget to pick up what you said you'd pick up or, or clean up or clear up. And I know what you're doing right now. You're saying, yeah, I know somebody like that. <laughs> and I hope they're listening because they're in this room right now. We all do it. You check out emotionally. We've all done it with a spouse or an ex-spouse or a parent or a friend or family member. On the surface, we're cooperating, but underneath, we're making one statement after the next about what we really think, about the emotional needs we've got that are not getting met. It's the relational equivalent of taking your hand off the cup, letting the flies have at it, and not telling them when they come back there were flies in their tea. And we can get used to it that way, so used to that way of relating that we don't realize the effect, especially in community. It turns out, Paul tells us, this is a spiritual issue. Dave Getz says, passivity, not taking initiative in your marriage or in any relationship, is a spiritual issue because underneath is a deep current that says, my needs aren't getting met, so I'm not going to meet your needs. That is a spiritually dangerous and crippling way to live. And you know what? Jesus never once acted that way. There's never an instance in the Bible where Jesus is nice on the surface but angry underneath. If, if Jesus was angry with you, you knew Jesus was angry with you. <laughs> but mostly, Jesus didn't set out to get his own needs met. 1 John, 1 John 3.16, not John, but 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus demonstrated it. He was a walking billboard for it. He gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give out our, up our own lives for our brothers and sisters. If one part suffers, every part suffers. Because that's what the always family does. One part is honored, every part is honored with it. This is the spiritual remedy to that relational dynamic. We're feeling more and more comfortable with these days where we find ourselves secretly wanting someone else to be wrong about whatever's going on in the world so we can be right. Where we find ourselves checking out emotionally and not caring about the hardships of others or, or what this might be like for them. 
The remedy is this. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part is honored with it. Danny Silk says this in his book, Culture of Honor, and somehow it fits for me right here. He says, repentance only works when the priority of the environment is heart-to-heart connection. So where do you need to repent for giving in to emotional distance at the expense of people God wants to honor? Where do you need to repent for giving in to emotional distance at the expense of people God wants to honor? All right, well, look at verse 37 in that little section, and then we'll close. Paul says, now you're the body of Christ. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way this works. You're the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. God has placed into the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, 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 no. But then he says this. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. There's no question here what Paul is saying to the believers in the Corinthian church and what it means for us today. There's a directive here for us who call ourselves part of the body of Christ to find our gift and put it to use so we can participate in the welcome and advance of God's kingdom. It's a call to get off the sidelines and to understand that you are part of God's plan and that you have been given a cup full of gifts. Whether your gifts are on the stage or behind the scenes, you have been given gifts. The invitation of Christ comes from within this longing within the heart of God. I want to seek the kingdom of God with you. That is the invitation held out by Jesus. I want to seek the kingdom of God with you. It doesn't matter to him that you've never felt the passion or even that you once had it or lost it. It doesn't matter to him that you're worn out by current events or that you don't feel worthy or even that this doesn't feel worth it. The invitation still stands because God never stops loving us, never ceases to to pursue our hearts, never relents in protecting us, never stops bearing with us. He is the author and perfecter of the always family and the always life. God is always love, and God always protects. Now, we may worry that we've offended him beyond redemption or that he would never love someone like us or use someone like us, but while we're off in the woods making excuses, God is persistently, lovingly, long, way past good sense, shooing the flies off of our cup. God's love never ends. He believes in you, and he bears with you. And we talk about how, uh, you know, do you believe in God? Here's the thing. 
Have you ever thought about this? God believes in you. He loves you. He believes in you. Verse 31 is the kicker. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Because God eagerly desires to give them. Friends, normal is never coming back. But hear the good news. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So with that confident assurance, how are you desiring the greater things? How, how are you pressing in and desiring the greater gifts? I want to ask you to stand. I want to ask you to hold your imaginary cup in your hands right now. And look at it. It's full. It's sweet. God has given you a full cup of gifts. And he is... He has given you the cup of redemption, which is not a sweet teacup. I get that. It's his blood. I get that. But he's given you the cup of redemption, but he's also given you a cup full, a cup full of spiritual gifts. And the question is, are you accessing them? Are you desiring them? It's exactly what Chris said earlier. It's not that they're not there. It's are we really understanding in a deeper way what God has given us, the goodness of God? So pray with me. God, I just, I want to pray. I want to pray for the one this, this morning who, um, who is desiring a greater connection with you for the sake of the body of Christ. For the one who's saying, you know what, Lord, I have not even really ever known how to pray this prayer, but I, I desire the gift of tongues for the sake of the body. I desire to be able to hear the language of angels so that I can experience, encounter what you encounter more purely, the, the prayer life it's inside the heart of God more purely. I desire that. Lord, I desire the gift of miracles, to be able to lay hands on people and to see people physically and emotionally healed. Lord, I am desiring a greater giftedness in this area. Lord, I, I desire the gift of evangelism, the gift of helps. I, Lord, I want the gift of being able to set my own pride aside so that I find my fulfillment and my purpose in serving behind the scenes. I pray, Lord, for the kind of gift that breaks my heart for children or for youth, the gift of teaching, the gift of leading the next generation, the gift of discipleship. God, I am hungry for the greater gift. I feel like right now, God, I, I come to you with an empty cup, but I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing what we're saying here, that it's not that my cup's empty. It's not that you're not willing to fill it. I just might not see what you see. I may be building some very tiny door and expecting that everything that I'll accept has to come through that door. God, I'm just asking you, 
break, that, break all that down. Help me to see what you see, to love like you love, to serve like you serve, Jesus, selflessly. God, help me to step into this river with my whole heart to step into this river. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.